You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining this podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Jesse Thistle on the show with me. He has an amazing new book. It's called From the Ashes, My Story of Being Indigenous, Homeless, and Finding My Way. Uh, this is such an inspiring book, Jesse. It, it moved me deeply and... Uh, you know, there was a lot that I could connect with uh, in in this book, even though you and I are from, you know, very different backgrounds. Uh, still, the way you told the story, presented it, uh, really made me connect with it. And uh, so first off, thank you for that. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. And welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you for having me, Hank. That's uh, quite the intro. I'm humbled. I'm honored. And uh, I'm glad that you connected with a lot of the universal threads that appear in the book, like addiction, homelessness, belonging, love, all those things are human experiences. So thank you. You're absolutely right. They are human experiences. And and I think that's uh, that that's why this book is is really for everyone. And, and I encourage, uh, you know, no matter what genre that you you identify most uh, with you're going to love this book, um, but before we get into talking about all of that stuff, uh, Jesse, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? My first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller happened in my mid-30s, actually, when I was in uh, jail relearning to read and write. I... Uh, you know, I was a panhandler uh, for many years, and I, when I relearned to read and write, I could see that there was power in words, you know, and uh, I could, I learned how to tell stories on the streets, and so I kind of just translated that over into uh, uh, print, first academia, and, and then trade press, and so that's where I first imagined myself as a storyteller was in jail, of all places. <laughs> well, you know, that's a... Uh, yeah, there have been lots of stories of, of people that that have an awakening like that in you know when they find themselves in a situation uh, like that and and uh, you know that it's a great place for for a, a, a do over that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was like a rude awakening, like being thrown in ice water and jolted me back to life. Yeah. Yeah. So so Jesse, where um where do you call home? Where where are you from? I call the my wife's arms home, and she lives in Hamilton in our home, and I just live with her. Uh, she runs our business, and that's where home is. So southern Ontario, in a Hamilton, if for people that are listening in America, is like the Williamsburg of Toronto. That's like our New York City. And so we're yeah. in the cool part of town here with all the artists and writers and foodies. Gotcha. Now, is that where you grew up? No, no, I grew up in uh, the suburbs of, of Toronto, so this would be like New Jersey is, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty rough around the edges, blue-collar kind of uh, folks that live out there. It's uh, an industrial warehouse town. 
Gotcha. So, um, you know, as we learn in the book, um, and and I, I don't think I'm, I'm giving anything away, you had uh, you endured some pretty tragic circumstances early in life. Happened Hello? that sort of. Uh, are, are you there? Sorry, you just cut out. Yeah, sorry. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. I'll I'll start over. Um, okay. So Jesse, you, uh, you know, as we learn in the book, uh, you suffered some pretty tragic circumstances early in life, and and that's that's kind of what kicks the the story off. Um, what happened to you, and uh, you know how how do you view those early experiences now, looking back? Yeah, uh, the book starts, I'm in my community uh, in northern Saskatchewan along what are called road allowances. So my family went during the Northwest Resistance, and we were dispossessed into these spaces of public land because we were such a military and financial threat. And this is where we were stuck to be totally disempowered. And so my family lived along these as squatters for 100 years, all the way up until my generation. And by the time me and my brothers come into the picture, our, our communities are starting to dissolve from all the intergenerational trauma. And my mom, uh, you know, to get off the road allowance, she used whatever her uh, agency was as a young girl. She married. She tried to marry out as a way out and she married my father who was an alcoholic and had a lot of problems with crime and abuse and uh, one thing led to another my mom had to leave uh, my father and my father then went on to lose me and my brothers to the state uh, authorities we call them children's aid up here and um, they they scooped us and uh, we were placed in uh, my paternal white grandparents home and in this way I was dislocated from my home community and my nuclear family. And my father went missing right after in 1982. So I never saw him again either. And so I just knew suburban white town as a native person and all the cultural dislocation, not knowing who I was, and then having strict grandparents. Uh, I won't ruin too much of the book. I'll let people find that out. But those are the sure. themes, and that's how I end up in Brampton, yeah. So, so not only displaced as a people, um, you know, in a in a generational sense, but then specifically, um, you know, you you encountered this, um, you know, uh, on the on the personal level. So uh, interesting from from an outsider's position to see this sort of generational thing come down to the personal level and and you know you we have a tendency to uh kind of wash away history and and to look at things in a very one-sided way but it, it it's really eye-opening when you see the the personal implications of of some of these policies and things that's right so we hear a lot of these policies you know the indian wars of the 1860s um, you know, the trail of tear, all these different things we hear about indigenous society and how it's displaced generations of us, but we never really truly get close to the personal stories. And that's what my story is. I put a face, I put a family name, I put a nationhood on my experiences and I let you, the reader, 
feel how it feels to be someone who's been for generations, who's lost their identity, their family, their language, their sense of self and connection to creator, and how that actually feels. So I'm showing you from the inside how colonialism feels from the perspective of a three-year-old boy that goes through CAS to a young man who doesn't know who he is and joins a gang and gets involved with drugs to a homeless person with little options other than robbing a store and saving his life. And really, it's that robbery that broke the chain of violence that had been meted down upon generations of my ancestors. I had to, in turn, commit a, uh, an equal violently uh, violent act against the state to free myself of it. And so that was actually my path to higher education. And, you know, I think that the book is unique in that way because there is no lecturing. I'm not uh, telling you how to life and what happened to my family and through that you get to feel what we went through as indigenous peoples that lost everything so jesse from the position you're in now um obviously um someone that that's educated and now looking back does that feel like just a, a a completely different lifetime and and you know do you still feel connected to those experiences uh you know from your younger self uh you know or has you know do you ever i, I guess what i'm asking is do you ever grow out of that or do you still feel viscerally connected to that story uh, no i'm connected to it that my new life as a professor assistant professor, best-selling Canadian book of 2020, all these awards that I've won, it doesn't feel real. You know, this new life yeah. doesn't feel real. It's like, I don't know, it's like a glossy, surreal, saran-wrapped dream that I'm in, uh, where reality to me is like my foot rotting off my body when I'm homeless. I can't not think about that. I always think, I wake up like that. I have nightmares. I... Uh, something that happens to the human brain when you become traumatized the way that I did is like you become like a time traveler. The problem is you can't forget, right? And those old memories, they feel real, more real than the present day today. And so, yeah, it's like this mix of like I should be happy, I should be proud and, you know, that I escaped the streets. But have I really escaped? You know, can you really walk away from a plane crash without pondering over the wreckage once in a while, right? That's how where I am. And uh, I hope one day with my help from my trauma therapist that I can remove myself from that too. You know, I have to accept that. Maybe I'll always be stuck there. Looking for a tool to help you visualize your story before the drafting begins? PlotPins is cloud-based and optimized for any device there's nothing to download. From the new writer who isn't sure how to tell their story to the veteran who can increase their productivity dramatically, we've had experienced writers lay out a detailed structure for several novels in a series in a matter of a few days. The app takes you through four steps of the process, the concept or logline. Make sure you have a solid concept that you can keep coming back to throughout the process. The outline, 12 beats and three acts, each has a description of what should be happening with examples. The board, 40 cards. We take the 12 beats and add sub-beats to those, 
breaking it down even further and being very specific about what should go into each. These also have examples and descriptions. Right. We take those 40 cards and turn them into a to-do list. For a 50,000 word book, it's about two cards per chapter roughly. We have a beautiful editor built into the app. You can export your manuscript to a PDF anytime with the click of a button. Let Plot Pins help you visualize your writing project. Use code HANK10 to get 10% off Plot Pins. PlotPins.com Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates. PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20 or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting, and we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. Um, Jesse, will um, I, I give away the whole story? That this is definitely a, a story that everyone needs to read. But um, one thing that I uh, that I love to ask fiction writers, and and of course this. Um, but I, I, I would love to hear your answer to this. One, one thing that I ask fiction writers a lot is what is the point where a story begins? And, um, you know, one analogy we like to use is, you know, one moment the book does not exist in any form or fashion. And then a, a character will, will walk on the stage of your mind or, or you start thinking, you know, playing the what if game, uh, you know, with, with maybe a new story that you heard or something like that. And then, in in some in some way the story then exists and then it, it evolves into what you know the final product is but being a memoir and this being your personal life experience when did you realize that this was a story that was bigger than you um that you needed to share with other people that you needed to bring other people into your story wow that's such a uh, <clears throat> a thoughtful question hank Thank you for asking that. Yeah, I would say 
So I won a bunch of major awards uh, in academia. I won uh, what are like Canada's Rhodes Scholarships. Uh, that's the equivalent. They're called the Vanier and Trudeau. I won both of those simultaneously. And I graduated the top student out of 50,000 at York University. And wow. so the way that I won it, yeah, it was a big, big thing. I created a lot of media attention. And uh, the Toronto Star came to do a story on my life because I'd won the, these awards in a fashion that no one had ever done before at York University or in Canada, as far as I know. And um, in the meeting with the guy, he looked at me. He's like, yo, you're just like, you're, you're a little old for an undergrad. You're like grandpa age here. <laughs> what, what, what's going on? You know? And I'm like, look, man, I'm a street guy. I'm from jail. My rise into higher education started when I robbed the 7-Eleven to save my leg and he's like what i'm like yeah and i explained my story and then he put that article out um a couple weeks later and i got a call from simon and schuster adria lay a woman there and she sent me an email she's like we're interested in publishing your memoir i didn't even know what uh simon and schuster was and i'm like are you sure you have the right guy i'm just a regular <laughs> dude right and i went in and i talked to her and she said you know um well editor to help you work with your story but we need you to send us some stuff about your life have you written anything about your life and i actually had my aa steps that i'd been doing on my resentments my fourth step since i was in rehab uh, uh eight years before and so i literally just sent them my aa program and that's what the book is it's it's all those different fragments of memories that i was trying to work through so that i could heal and get better as a recovering addict and that's why they appear in the fragments that they do is because that's how I remembered them. And so that's when I realized that I was an author that had something to say is when I got that email from Adria. And we had a talk and a, we came to the conclusion that I had kind of a responsibility to speak from the vantage point that I speak from because I'm talking from the vantage point of someone who survived the streets, jail, who then went on to become this like award-winning academic. Uh, and not just year and so you know that's a story that carries hope as well as messages and education for other people out there and so that's when I realized I was I had to tell this story was when Adria and me were talking so Jesse um you're uh you're taking the fourth step in your AA uh, 12-step program um was was an integral part of of finding out the story that you wanted to tell but one thing that that is fascinating about memoir versus uh, like an autobiography is that memoir is usually um, through the lens. You're, you're seeing a person's story through the lens of a of a very particular point in time. Um, and and it, it, it usually it had well, it, it, it always has a beginning and an end, but it, it's not all encompassing of the person's life. It's, it's a, a window that you're looking through. How did you decide what? what the window of the story was that you wanted to tell what and did did it all come from this fourth step or you know was there a process of of sort of refining what your story was yeah as as Larry, uh uh lori my editor at simon and schuster that i eventually worked with uh she got all the fragments and we laid out the story in kind of chronological order and then we started looking for different themes connection was one theme or lack of connection. Lack of identity was another theme. 
and we kept going and seeing like all these different themes and the the base one of all of it was love the quest for love and so you'll notice at the beginning of my book i'm in place within my community i'm on the land i know my language i'm with my mom I'm with my cookum and mushum. I'm emplaced in love there. That's what that is. I'm showing you what love looked like for me as a young boy. And then that abrupt amputation. And then for the rest of my book, I'm actually struggling to learn to love, uh, finding it and sabotaging it when I break a young girl's heart, when I get love for the first time in my life. And then the human love I, I find on the street and in jail, I found. And I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm talking about fraternal love. I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about self-love. All these themes came out. And so the book starts with that, and then it ends where I, I find love with the love of my life, my wife, and how she helped me into academia to love myself. And so that came out working with uh, my life story. So when you... Um when you kind of settle on a theme, when you're when you're looking at all of the stories that you had collected and and uh, you, you told yourself and, and shared with a, f- a few others, when you realize that the, this theme emerges of love and and what it looks like or what it has looked like in in different phases of your life, and and realizing that your ultimate pursuit was to 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 experience this love again, and then uh, you know to to begin this love cycle in your own life and with the, the people that you care about. Um, does, does everything start to make sense when you kind of identify the lens that, that your story that you're looking through? Does, 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 does everything sort of, uh, does the, I guess what I'm asking is the kind of the, does it bring it into focus when you finally decide this is the theme of the work? Uh, yes, it does. But it also makes it more complex because Mm. like, that's just one theme, right? Branching off of this is cultural dislocation. Uh, you know, there's sociological trends that are happening. I'm part part of the crack epidemic that happened in States and, and here in Canada a little later. Uh, displacement through the scoop like i saw like indigenous history and the impacts of it against me i saw intergenerational trauma but they're all kind of like attached as tribute tributaries to this larger river of love that runs through the, the book and so in a way it made it simpler because my around that meta narrative but in a way it also made it way more complicated because i had clarity it was like I was looking through an aerial photo at like a, a river delta and I could see all these different uh, themes running through my life that I never saw before. You you deal with the um, the, the 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 facts of and then the implications of uh, something like the displacement of an entire people group. Um, one thing that I find interesting is that, um, you know, if you were to read other books that dealt with this issue, um, there would be very firm opinions laid about laid out about how we fix this problem. And you don't necessarily go there. You you let us see what the the fallout from that is from you personally and in your community in uh, you know kind of in, in as a greater view. Um, but was it ever a, a struggle for you to uh, to say whether you know, 
am I going to speak out about this is what my opinion is about how we fix this? Or uh, was that ever anything that you wrestled with about, you know, coming up with with policy uh, opinions or decisions? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big decision. I could speak from the vantage point of someone that's just made peace with a lot of what he's gone through and what is what's happened to his people because I had to because uh, that was what was driving my addictions and disconnection. So I, I had years of that before I wrote. And so when I wrote, I knew that I could present it in a kind of, uh, not objective, you're very engaged with the story, but in a way that I don't cast my own opinions onto it because like truthfully, we live in an era where everyone has an opinion, right? And everyone's right. an expert on everything. We, and what this actually does is we're not allowing readers to make up their own minds about what they're reading. We're telling, we're telling them what the solution is. That ultimately says that you, you're not respecting the intelligence of your readers. So I said, okay, I'm just going to present this. This is a conscious decision I made with my editor and let people decide for themselves what happened and how they should feel about it. And all I want is people to witness what happened to my family and me. I don't have the solutions. I will never have the solutions. All I can do is let people into our world so that they can feel what it feels like to go through what we've gone through. And uh, it's Mark. I think we, a lot of readers have been, um, as of late, uh, pontificated to, instead of, I just relied on good old storytelling and pace. You know, Bukowski, I watched right. some YouTube uh, clips about him, and he said that's the most important thing about uh, t storytelling. So I stuck to those guns, you know, uh, of, of that master, and it seemed to have, it seems to have worked. You know, people are making their own minds and coming to their own conclusions, and that's wonderful. Well, one, one thing that, that tends to happen, especially with issues that we're not familiar with, is that we, we uh, depend on uh, a, a so-called expert, and I'm making air quotes here around expert, um, to not only tell us about the problem, but then to tell us a solution to the problem. Finding out about the problem and then finding what their solution is, is we're missing what the actual impact of this thing is. And we, you know, go off making half-cocked decisions that that affect a lot of people because we we just don't know. And uh, what's fascinating about this story is that you you let us see the problem from from your perspective, through your eyes. And, and I think that's a, a much uh, – of course, we can't learn about every situation in the world that way. But when we can, it is really valuable. Yeah, yeah. It's – you will create more positive social change if you move people's hearts more right. so than if you try to, uh, you know, speak to their intelligence, which is important too. You can't not do that. But the more important thing is how do you move people? How do you make them understand emotionally what's going on? And when you do that, there's such a strong connection and interest and motivation that happens that they go out into the world and they start to craft positive uh, policy, positive activism, positive allyship. And people that pick up my work to be moved emotionally so that they can go and do that good work 
that I'm not the expert for. They are. They work in policy. They work in government. They work in frontline service workers. And in experiencing my uh, and feeling what I went through, they can better craft policy in the jobs that they do. And that's kind of the effect of From the Ashes. I've heard a lot from judges, police officers, doctors, psychologists, uh, social workers, and on and on and on that they use that book in this way. There are a lot of different art forms, Jesse, that are more collaborative in nature from the very beginning. Um, uh, you know, you think of theater or, you know, a, a, a dance troupe or musicians um, that you're you're working with other people pretty, pretty early in the process. Writing is is not necessarily one of those things. There's a lot of time spent where it's just you and the story and, and the story in this case is your story. Um, and you know, then you know, an editor gets involved and, uh, you know, there's a lot of on the back end, you know, right before publishing and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, but a lot of times writers will depend on a couple of early readers that they sort of bounce ideas off of, or maybe early versions of the finished manuscript and, and trusted voices that, that they can uh, share things with. Uh, who were some of your early readers? Uh, yeah. Some of my early readers, my wife is always uh, the, the last reader on anything I do. And she will tell me honestly, if it sucks or if it's good. And like, <laughs> she's always right on the money, you know? Uh, and she doesn't pull any punches, right? She has no time. And sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it hurts to hear that what I've written sucks, you know. Um, so there was her, and she read it, and she said it's good. And I knew it was good. Then I, there's Lori, my editor, Lori Grassi, who I would send her fragments of my life and those little fourth steps that I was talking about earlier. And if it was good and fit in with the meta narrative of what we were writing, then we would work and edit it down. And if it sucked or was bad, it would just disappear into the ether and I'd never hear about it again. And so <laughs> she that was her polite way of, you know, pushing me and getting the story sculpted and whatnot. And then beyond that, I sent my uh, early manuscript to experts in Métis history, uh, experts in um, Cree law, uh, Tracy Lindbergh uh, was one of my early readers, experts in indigenous history in general, Ian Mosby, as well as community aunties. My aunties had to read it. So this is, uh, this is a position of great respect. And my aunties to read it first. And they all came back to me with positive remarks. And that's how I knew that I told the story in a careful, considerate way that helped my community. We published, and it's been a smash hit ever since. So, uh, well, this is a book that uh, you know there are things that you read that are important, and you know that they're important, and they're not necessarily entertaining, um, but you know that you should read them. And and this is one of those stories that 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 ultimately has the weight of that. Yet it's a very read all the way through it's very engaging it it grabs you by the heart and and carries you along uh for the journey and uh i'm recommending this book to everyone um, when you're hearing this show uh, it's been out for a couple of days now and you can grab it 
either in Kindle edition, if you uh, you know, like to read on your Kindle, or you know, actual paper that you hold in your hand. And it's also uh, coming out as an audio book. Is that right, Jesse? Yes, and uh, I recorded the audio in the same recording booths that uh, Drake and Justin Bieber uh, down at Cherry <laughs> Beach in Toronto did their albums. Not that I'm on their level, but yes, I did the audio. So if you want a more intimate experience, go and listen to me tell my story. I didn't realize that you did the audio. That's that's going to be amazing to hear that. I don't think it's going to be blockbuster drama, but it's, it's <laughs> earnest and it's from my heart, so... Yeah, be kind, absolutely. you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, from the ashes, my story of being indigenous, homeless, and finding my way available everywhere now when you're hearing this. Go grab it uh, either from your local bookstore or grab it from Amazon. There's links in the show notes. Um, Jesse, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you're doing, where can they find you online? Uh, you can Google my name, uh, jessethistle.com. Uh, That's my uh, home uh, address where you can send uh, requests for speaking and whatnot. Or you can come and visit me at Thistle, Jesse, on Facebook. That's my author profile. Or you can come and visit at Checkmet on Instagram. That's at C-Z-E-C-H-M-E-T, Checkmet. Uh, my mom, my uh, my wife is Czech, so that's it's a it's a mix of Czech and Métis, uh, and that's the name Czechmet. Love it. From the ashes, available everywhere now. When you're hearing this, go, Jesse. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. Thank you. Much love to you, Hank, for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. Same to you, Jesse. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing or proofreading Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.